like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hi, everyone. It's Sophia, and welcome back to Work in Progress. Today's guest is a writer, a designer, and an influence whose specialty is defining the line between happiness and ambition and making the best of both. Jamie Varon is a captain of her own branding and design company and a prolific writer whose work has been featured on the Huffington Post, Teen Vogue, Thought Catalog, and many, many more places. Today, we're going to talk to Jamie about acceptance and self-love, the power of writing, being an entrepreneur, and her upcoming book, Radically Content, Being Satisfied in an Endlessly Dissatisfied World. Jamie has been sharing her life and experience through blogs, articles, and social media for over a decade, and I'm so excited to sit down with her today and talk to her about her journey. She inspires me endlessly to look inside and really figure out how it is I'm feeling and what it is I need to do with my feelings. And I think she'll do the same for all of you, so let's get started. Jamie, I'm so excited that you have joined us on the show today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Of course. I'm honored that you'd even ask me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm such a fan of your work and your writing, your perspective, the way that you manage to be so vulnerable and invite people in, but you also clearly know how to set boundaries for yourself. And that is not an easy tightrope walk. (laughs) That's taken a while. Mm -hmm. So appreciate that acknowledgement. It was used to be, here's everything that I feel all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm overwhelmed with feeling drained by that. And now it's, I know the things that I want to share, that I want to be the conversations that I want to be a part of and the rest I have to leave to mm. someone else to talk about, you know? Mm. Yeah. And it, it strikes me as one example of the both and 
how you have to figure out, you know, to be who you are and, you know, whatever, whatever the finishing of that sentence might be for you. And, and something that I love so much about your work is that you talk about being both satisfied and content and ambitious and driven. And those are things that, that can feel in friction to people. I mean, it's, it's the reason this podcast began, you know, based on the idea that you can be a perfect masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. And so I, I can't wait to dive into how you had that aha moment for yourself. But before we go into where we are today, I really like, I like to go back to the beginning because I, and I weirdly feel like I know some of this stuff about you because I've read so many of the things that you've written. (laughs) Um, But I, I always like to ask the woman that you are in the world today, do, do you see traces of her in Jamie as a little girl? I, th- I think that I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it took me a while to kind of step into who I am now. And I, because of that, I really, I'm so actually appreciative of where I am now. I don't feel that I deny that I have my power now and mm-hmm. that I've really stepped into it. And as a little girl, I mean, so many opinions. I was the one advocating for everything. I'd be like, don't say that. Don't do that. You know, like just uh, be a little bit more thoughtful, be a little Mm -hmm. bit like I tell myself that I was like a little feminist at 10 years old because I don't know where this came from, that I was just like, I knew certain things just didn't vibe with me. And I had Mm -hmm. this strong opinion that I was like, where does... Who is this person? And even that young, I felt that. And I think then it became like at 10, I started getting bullied Mm. and I started having those experiences in school, which I think just created this very sensitive part of me that really wanted to understand like, why do we do this? Like, why are we like this to each other? Like, why, Mm. why are we creating these hierarchies that some are better, some are worse, some are this. And I think that began a very intense journey because, you know, like when the world doesn't really affirm you, you have to learn how to affirm yourself. And when the world like, you know, rejects you in certain ways, you have to learn how to choose yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, I used to think this was a journey for me to like love myself, but then it became so much more of just like, I need to go beyond that. I need to choose me, validate me, not reject myself. Like all of this feels so vital because if I wait for the world Mm. to tell me who to be and give me permission to love myself, like I will literally wait forever. Mm -hmm. And the great irony is that no matter what version of you you are, you choose. The world tells you that's the wrong one. <laughs> exactly. Even if you fit in, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, stay that way forever mm-hmm. and keep that up. And it's like nobody wins. No, because you 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 can't possibly do anything forever, you know, whether <laughs> you have a bad day or a good day or a new success. I, it's so interesting that we all experience versions of this. When women can sit and have this conversation, our insides go, oh gosh, you too. It's such a relief. And, and yet we're in these, as you said, hierarchical systems, people treat each other with such 
cruelty and it it kind of hit me looking, you know, 30,000 feet. Why are we as humans like this? Why are we so desperate for someone else to be the bad guy so that no one looks at us? What if we just looked at each other? What if we just helped each other? What if we just said, hey, we've got enough to go around. What do you need? But nobody teaches us that. And and for you to be talking about how you you both chose yourself and you chose to unlearn the detriment so that you could teach yourself and other people something better. That that's a big it's a big choice and I imagine it feels like a big calling. At first I will say it felt kind of like a burden because mm. I was like why do I have to be the sensitive one? <laughs> you know, like why do I have to work through all this? Mm-hmm. And I felt really upset about that for a long time. Like, um, like I should be different, you know, like, why can't I be normal, quote Mm. unquote, you know, there was a part of me that really wanted to be accepted as the norm or whatever that would represent the conventions, Mm -hmm. the conformities, and then really stepping into what a gift it is and seeing that, oh, I actually have a perspective that people haven't heard before. Like, this just is what I think about. It's not, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's different anymore. And then I started to really share. And what I noticed was the moment that I shared something really vulnerable that I felt like no one else has ever felt this before. You know, that you can think that when you're in the Mm -hmm. hard part of it. And I got all these, I would just get all these people being like, me too. I didn't know anybody else felt felt that way. And every time I did that, it just like emboldened me and emboldened me because I was thinking, wait a second. Now I'm just like, nothing is just me. Like it's all, we're all feeling these things. And if we brought them to the surface more, you know, I see the cruelty that people inflict on others in all the small and big ways that they do in this world. And I look at that and I'm like, all I see now is like, that's pain. (laughs) That's like unexpressed pain. Mm. And it's complex. And we do have this system that says, this is a lot of what my book is about is like, we have this system that's saying, you're as good as you're better than someone else. So keep making yourself better. And it's so on autopilot that we don't really look at it or, Mm. or interrogate it until we take a step back and go, oh, I'm, I'm doing it too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was a really powerful part of this was going, I'm doing it as well. Like I might not be on the cruelty scale, <laughs> you know, but I was doing it in my head. Mm-hmm. I was making myself better than other people mm-hmm. and being honest about that. I mean, talk, what you talked about with like when women share this, when I started sharing that with my friends, they were like, me too. Like I do that too. Mm -hmm. And we all had, it was like beautiful to be able to just be honest because we just, I think we try to conceal a lot of our real feelings, you know, especially women. We're always like, are we bad? Should we be doing this? Is this okay? And it's like, we're always looking for permission. Mm. And I'm just, I think I've got to the place where I was just like, I just can't wait any longer. I don't want to wait for permission. I'm my permission, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I'm the one that's coming to save me. Yes. <laughs> you know? I love that. And I think it goes back to that 
truth that's at the heart of it for so many of us, which is so much of this is societal conditioning. So much of this is environmental. It happens everywhere. I mean, you said it, you started getting bullied at 10. How many other girls and boys, you know, how many other people out there have the exact same experience? Something comes online, some desire to be better than in order to feel safe. You know, I want to be chosen. I want to get straight A's. I want to be the valedictorian. I want that boy to like me. I want whatever it is. And it it seeps in from everywhere and it and it does do such harm. You know, I imagine to you as a little girl, and it wasn't just coming from kids at school. You've talked about how as a child you heard the men in your family talk about women. That is also learned behavior. That's cultured from somewhere. How, how do you think that impacted the little girl who liked to say, hey, that's not right? What What was that experience like for you? Well, it was always, you're too sensitive. Mm. You're just being too sensitive. And I was like, I'm just saying what is right here. Mm. You know, like I... And then I started to go, maybe I am too sensitive. Okay, I'm too much. I think too much. I um, overthink. And it just became essentially boiled down all of that. It becomes self-doubt. And it becomes a constant questioning and monitoring Mm -hmm. of every thought and every instinct. And essentially... What that then does is it erodes at your own self-trust and it erodes at like, that's what happened to me was I found, I realized I was like, I don't really trust myself. I look externally for someone to tell me, am I doing good? Am Mm -hmm. I good enough? Mm -hmm. And I think that was probably a big turning point for me where I just said, I was in that all my 20s into my 30s, just like waiting for someone collecting compliments, collecting praise as if like, you know, I can make a book and look at it and it's my evidence. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I've proven my case. I am good enough now. And it's like, I realized probably around like 30, 31, I'm 36 now. I realized I was like, it has never clicked in. (laughs) Like this is not going away. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I got to have a new way of looking at this because growing up, part of it was because of my weight. Mm -hmm. I felt rejected. So at first it was like, people are rejecting me. And like, you can kind of look at that as, okay, you can battle that. But then what you, what's harder to battle is when you internalize it and you go, well, now I'm rejecting me and I believe you. Like, I believe you that I deserved that. So it becomes a part of like your own belief system. So you've now taken that on as like, that's your value system. That's your narrative. That's your story. Mm -hmm. And my work has been in really rewriting my story Mm -hmm. because even through a new filter, the past changes shape, you know, like when you, and I'm sure you've experienced this where you look back on something, you're like, oh, wait, through a new lens, Mm -hmm. This looks totally different. Yeah. You talked about that. Something that made me go, oof, you too. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, When you wrote that beautiful piece that's, it's years old now. I think it came out in 2015. You know, the 20 things I wish I'd known as a teenage girl. And 
I think it touched me so much because I've been asked to reflect on what advice I'd give to my younger self, especially because right out of college, I played a high school kid. So I kind of stayed in that world of, you know, (laughs) emotional pain forever. (laughs) And um, I was really struck when you said that a person who you considered a friend, someone who called you their best friend, could be so cruel to you. I'm thinking about that now because it's really... It's reminding me of how I felt when I read it, and it's reminding me of something now as you say that things change when you look at them through new lenses. Through the lens of my healthier adult self, who recognizes hypersensitivity as a superpower, not as something that makes me wrong, I realize, oh yeah, I I grew up in some of that. And And the way that I felt like I was, for whatever reason, always inadequate and and always a little on the outside and whatever, I can look back now and go, oh, I I just had, I made a bully my best friend. I didn't understand how cruel it was when I experienced my first big moment of, you know, young success. And my quote unquote best friend said, well, your 15 minutes of fame start now, don't they? Oh, that hurts my soul. Yeah, (laughs) just so... It was so like, oh, and my other best girlfriend from high school when we got, I think we were like two years, maybe it was three years into me making my first show. I was home and she looked at me and said, you know, it's just really hard for me to watch you get everything I always wanted. Oh my gosh. And it was one of the last conversations we ever had. And, and for so long as a young woman, I couldn't figure out why no matter what I did, no matter how I showed up, no matter what I gave, no matter um, if I got invited to something, I'd always make sure I could bring all my friends. I'd always, you know, and, and it never mattered. I always got bullied. And it took me a long time to realize that I just had the wrong friends and that it wasn't my fault for not doing enough. It was the fact that I was expected to do anything to earn love at all. <sighs> And I I wonder if that created sort of a complex about conventional success, that maybe it's not always cert, it's not always safe, because I feel like a lot of women have that where they're like, let me keep myself a little contained, Mm -hmm. a little smaller so that nobody gets jealous or nobody is threatened. Mm -hmm. And you know, unfortunately, I feel what you're bringing up, it's like probably one of all the most hurtful things have been inflicted by other girls and yeah. women. And I'm not, don't say that as like, oh, girl, I'm not going to play into the narrative of like women are catty and all of this. It's more like we're in pain. Like we're mm-hmm. trying to figure out this world and And we are told that things are kind of limitless and yet there's usually only one woman in the room Mm -hmm. and there's, it's like, what's the truth? Like, are we supposed to be in competition with each other? Are we supposed to change our behavior? Are we valued as we are? Mm. Where we all, I mean, I've never met a woman who doesn't have almost crippling Mm self-doubt at certain points of their life Mm -hmm. who have this inadequacy that they believe they're the only ones Mm -hmm. that they have who are so hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, to a point where I'm almost like, how did we get this? How did we get here? Our minds are like 
I have, because, you know, I, I'm on Instagram and I, I love being in my messages and I just get so many messages from women who are like, how did, how, how are you, how do you like yourself? Like, that's really the, that's really the message is like, how did you learn to like yourself and not be so hard on yourself all the time? And I was like, this is the core of it because when we're hard on ourselves, we feel like someone else's success takes away from what's possible for us. Mm-hmm. We feel like we're in this really tight grip of what we are expected to be. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to see another woman liberated and free of that. Or if we do, we almost kind of like s- turn them into a deity too much. And it's like, we just need to, we need to be in community. Not like, you know, okay, you're better, I'm better, and then you're doing this, and Mm -hmm. I'm doing this, and that's taking away. And it's like, we need to, I'm just like, can we just all sit in a circle and share? (laughs) That's my thinking. I would love that. so earnest. Yeah. It's just like, can we just talk it out? I'm like, maybe we should just talk about our feelings more. Right. Because I think, you know, the, the image that really comes to mind, especially when you're highlighting the reality that I think so many women want women to do well and feel like we're all kept on the outside. And I think when you are trying to create a, you know, progressive feminist future in a generationally patriarchal society, <laughs> it, it it's like there's too much air in the balloon. So of course things start coming out sideways. And I'm so relieved that we're finally in a moment where it feels like so many women are looking around and going, well, this has clearly never worked for us. So why are we doing it their way? Why don't we just try to do it our own way? And they are meeting each other and, and, and talking to each other and, um, and being open about exactly these things. And it is so healing. I think it's, it's the way to undo that as you said, that self-doubt that just paralyzes people because we're all walking around being terrified that we're not enough or that we're too much. And so I wonder, you know, we're tracing this line of that experience for you beginning at 10, um, listening to the judgment of women, even in your own household, realizing that you internalized that and that you were judging yourself and you were judging other people, but of course, only in your head to be polite. <laughs> um, yikes. The the toxicity runs so deep for all of us. Oh, yeah. I, I, I know that it's easier now for us to be having this conversation. We're in a moment where, where we are writing our own permission slips and we're doing it. But when you started your journey, when you started you know, writing and blogging and and really stepping into this space. How did you do that? What what was the thing that made you go, I'm just gonna do it? Because not everybody was talking about this when you when you started. No. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden I looked around and I was like, oh, we're here. Okay. Yeah. Like I've been oh and not not in a like e- ego way, but just kind of like all right, now people are starting to get to this place because I used to be like, I must be like too deep or like too much, mm-hmm. all the too much stuff. So what I'll say is actually it, it, the intention behind it has really morphed as things do, you know, mm. as you as you do certain things, you find different reasons to do it. And I think at first there was 
there was almost like a hard edge about it. I was like, I'm going to be a rebel. I'm going to write about the real stuff, you know, like I'm going to write like straight into the heart of it. And it was really coming from, I had this huge ambition and I was just like, I want to prove that I'm good enough Mm. and I need to hit these milestones and I need to like, once I get there, I'll be happy. And then once I, and I kind of look at it as like, there was, there's a before and after in this. So the before was like, very based in the hustle culture, like, you know, oh, it'll be worth it one day. And yeah, keep grinding. Like when, you know, it's who like, needs sleep? Yeah. All that right, nonsense. Like, You'll sleep when you're dead and oh. all this and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I was kind of good with some of that, but I, if I wasn't working, my thing was like, I wouldn't work all the time, but if I wasn't working, the least I could do is panic and have anxiety about working. Mm-hmm. and my ambition and all the productivity that I wasn't doing. So that was like, I won't be on my computer, but I will stress and not enjoy any of my downtime. So that was my offering to the productivity gods. And then I was working for this website and all they wanted from me was to go viral, you know, clickbait. They wanted views. This was, was back in website? like 20 thought catalog. Mm. And this was like 2015. And this was, this was the heart. 2014, 2015, 2016 was the heart of me being like, I have to be a writer or my life is like insignificant. Like Mm. I have to do this. I have to make it. I have to like get it. And, you know, especially because it was like, I was almost turning 30. So I was like, that's the cutoff. If I don't make it by 30, I just apparently go wither and die somewhere, you know, like after 30 in my mind, you know? Yeah. And I had this big viral moment. This article was like, it was one of those where, you know, people from high school were like, whoa, saw this. And like, it's from you, you know, it was all the, all the things you dream about when you're, you want to be that writer Mm. in the proving phase. And I had this moment and I recognized I had a really amazing moment of clarity where I didn't enjoy it at all. Mm. I was just stressed and anxious and terrified. I'd never write another viral article ever again and that my value was going to plummet. And I was just up and down with it. And it was, I remember those weeks after that as like the most stressed Mm -hmm. and anxious I've ever been. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. (laughs) It took me a while to like accept that something had happened. Something had broken that it was like, okay, so this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Like, because you can think that it'll fix everything, that it'll make you feel worthy. It'll make you feel good enough until it happens. Mm -hmm. And then you go, I mean, I'm sure you have experience of this so much because then you go and you're like, hmm, that didn't do what I expected it mm-hmm. to do. I got a, I, I had this sort of image when you were talking earlier about if I can just collect enough compliments, the compliments will fill me up and then I'll believe in myself. And no one tells <laughs> you that holding compliments, it's like, it's like sand falling through your fingers. You can't hold it. And I think about this in the same way. And the really interesting thing is, you know, when you talk about your friends, you know, being like, oh, you did this. Oh, I saw this. 
everyone on the outside goes, oh, well, when your name is all over the internet, you must, you, you've made it, you feel happy. And you're sitting there going, uh, no, I'm more terrified than I've ever been. And nobody wants to hear about it because everybody thinks everything's great. <laughs> and, and exactly. And it and what I realize is it's just another version of taking people down. It's we do it to ourselves, as you said. We don't want to get too big. We dim our light because we're scared of making other people mad or of putting a target on our backs. It, it's that thing that Margot Robbie talks about, tall poppy syndrome, is how they talk about it in Australia. That as, as long as all the poppies are the same height, it's great. But if there's mm. a tall poppy, they'll come cut it down. And we kind of tall poppy ourselves. We cut ourselves down. We let other people do it. And, and you're right. The way we kind of deify successful people, especially women, then it's like they're they're not allowed to have a bad day. They're not allowed to have fears. They're not allowed. And, and I think the cultural shift that we're finally beginning to bring to the surface, you know, a longstanding reality of what mental health looks like, what stress looks like, um, you know, all the data that shows that actually, yes, is there an immense privilege if you have more money accessible because you can pay for your health care or, or a home or whatever, but that the actual psychology of happiness does not increase once needs are met, no matter how much more money you have, which I think is so interesting. I, it all feels like it's coming together in this moment for us to learn or level up or something. And I'm fascinated by the time that you've been doing this. You refer to your first viral article in you know, that moment of 2014, 2015, I think about the website you created back in 2009, you know, and when you say it was hustle culture, you're like, my website is Twitter should hire me. Like, yeah. here I am. I'm here to change it. I, I want to go back even there. I know you see it in that viral period when you when you look back five years. What do you see when you look back I mean, gosh, over 10 years to that 2009 moment, what made you start the website? How, how did you get there? Yeah. So I think what's defined me is like, even when I've been in the self-doubt, I always have this like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Like, screw it. I'll do it anyway. You know, I don't, I'm not like a freeze type of person, although Ugh. I didn't write, I didn't like write for a long time. It, or I mean, I didn't write what I really wanted to write for a long time, but I was still like, well, I'll have to do, I have to do it. Like I, I'm, I'm in that mode. And so, mm. yeah, back in 2009, I just got out of college. I quit a job after two weeks. I got this job at a startup in um, San Francisco. And I was like, this is it. And then it wasn't it, you know? And then I was like, <laughs> and I quit because I was like, you know what, this is, I'm not going to start my life, you know, my career in this way where I'm going to accept this kind of treatment. Like it was before the word toxic really came into awareness, it was toxic. And I didn't have the words for it. Obviously I was just like, this isn't good. And everyone, you know, is like, how can you quit a job after two weeks in a recession? You know, it was like the 2008, 2009 recession. I was mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I just have to do it. You know, okay. I've had an instinct. And um, I wanted to work at a startup. I thought I was going to go into tech, which is mm -hmm. really funny that I ever thought that. But I wanted to be in tech. I thought that was the cool thing. 
And I started this website. It came to me out of nowhere because I was like, I, I'm sending that resumes. I'm sending cover letters. How am I ever going to stand out? And so I just thought, I want to work at Twitter. I'm going to make this website. That's just go for it. Twittershouldhireme.com. And I, it came to me and I stayed up till like six in the morning making it. And I, cause, and I didn't know how to build it as a website. I just like kind of knew Photoshop, put some stuff together. And I just had this gumption, I think. And so, so then I send it out on my Twitter. And I think I had 600 followers, like nothing. I wasn't like a, hadn't, it's not like I had this big audience. Mm -hmm. I go to sleep. It's 6am. I go to sleep. I wake up and like for Twitter and for the internet at that time, 2009, it was mega viral. It was like, it was like fortune magazine is like calling me on the phone. (gasps) CNN wants to put me on on TV. And I'm like, what? It was the weirdest thing ever. Oh my gosh. And I was like, okay, so I guess I have something here. It's weird because you know, when like you have the self-doubt, you have these things, but you also know you have something, Mm. you know, like it's not, it's hard to, it's hard to explain because it's a both and. Like both things get to exist at the same time. Like I knew I had talent. I knew I had something. I knew that I wanted to do things publicly. And I knew I didn't have a whole lot of self-censorship. But I also was paralyzed by self-doubt, which didn't make sense. <laughs> it was just like, I'm like, I guess I'm a Gemini. Like a, that is the Gemini part of me. It's just like you get to be both and somehow live with that. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I just, so I just put it out there and then rode the wave and Twitter brought me to lunch and um, I had no skills. Sophia, I had no skills. What did I had nothing? They were like, do you code? Like, are you a engineer? I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, do you have a PR position? Like, is there something I can do? They're like, we're not even a thing yet. Like Twitter was hardly a thing then. Wow. And, um, So they didn't hire me and I, but then out of nowhere, someone goes, I really loved your design for Twitter should hire me. Can you design me a website? And I, and that was the time of real, like fake it till you make it, which I don't like love that advice now. But in that time I was like, yes, I can. Mm -hmm. I am a web designer. (laughs) And like, I had that same company that I made in 2009 off of all this viral stuff and I still have it to this day. Yeah. That's Shatterbox, right? Yeah. So yeah, I love this because sometimes I really think that when you bet on yourself, when you lean in, it's almost like the universe goes, oh, you're ready now. Look at that. You're ready? We'll start sending things your way. You know, not to get too LA woo-woo law of attraction, but it, you know, huh? they call it a law because it, it's a thing. And, and so I think about that moment when you got that first call, can you design me a website? Do you see looking back that branding and design was kind of the natural next step? And and how did you then decide to, you know, found your own design and branding shop? Because as you said, you've still got it going. So how does the timeline move forward from Twitter saying, we don't have a position for you, what are you talking about, to, yeah, now I have a company? Like a week. Wow. Okay. 
the instinct, there's always an instinct within me that when it, sometimes it's stronger than other times. And sometimes it comes really, really intensely. And I think growing up the way that I did, I also, you know, we didn't have a ton of money. So I'm very scrappy. Like I saw like dollars, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, I'll take that. Like I'll take money. And it felt like, oh, I'll do this until the writing takes off. And then a few months in, I had a full client list. I don't know how it happened. Literally, there were so many like serendipitous things that happened. Like a couple months in to me doing my web design business, Shatterbox, this guy gets in touch with me and he goes, I'm starting a nonprofit and I need a logo. It's like something for Twitter. I don't even remember it. And I need a website. And I tell him, I was like, okay, it's $1,500. And he's like, no, it's not. It's 5000 Like, you're worth that. Okay, he sends me a check for $5,000, cashes. He falls off the face of the planet. I've never seen him ever again. No. I swear. It was, it like gives me chills still to this day. He was like, raise Whoa. your prices. I'm sending, I'm paying you in full. You deserve that. You're too talented. And I never did the logo or website. I emailed him so many times. He ceased existing somewhere. He was just like a little confidence fairy. Right. Love <laughs> that guy. Angel. Love I that know. guy. I just see, I him, I like, see him with little checks on his back like wings. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, let me come right in. Wow. Let me give you a little boost. And I, I took that seriously. Well, yeah. Someone telling you what you're worth and and showing up to make that clear to you i i know it's changed my life when people have done that for me i know that i work so hard to do that for other people to say no you should absolutely be charging x for this you you absolutely deserve to do this and and i do think there is something about claiming your worth it's a business version of of you know taking up space in the world Do you feel like running your own boutique agency gives you power to do that? Not just to focus on projects you believe in, but also to really kind of stake claim in the creative world? Yeah, I think it was really interesting the way, I mean, the thing about design at that time especially was that it was very clearly valuable. Like people knew that it had value. Whereas some things, you know, like art is very subjective, obviously. And so it's like, who, what has value? We just decide these things. And so my way of dealing with money has helped me now see the value in like my ideas, my art, all these things, Mm. because it was so like people, they don't know how to do design. So they need to hire someone to do it. You know, whereas some people are like, well, I could write, I could do, I could, you know, Mm -hmm. it's this weird amorphous thing in some of the other arts. And I think that helped me recognize that like I have value. Also, it was very male dominated then. Mm -hmm. And it was very abnormal for anyone to work from their laptops. Like no one did that. And I was like, I realized half, like when I was a few months in, I was like, I can go, I can work from anywhere. So I like went to Italy for three months. I was like, let's just go. I just took my laptop and went. 
you know? Because I, I – you're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I'm like, 23 years old, Jamie? Really? You just – and I, I, I asked my mom the other day, actually. I was like, how did you just be cool with that? And she was like, I just wanted you to go experience life. So I had no worries and I'm, I just love that. I know she was a, she's a gem. So it was, it really helped me see all the different value that I bring. And it, you know, at the time it felt like, am I doing this, you know, to distract from the writing? Mm. And now I feel like, oh my God, that was the best thing I ever did because Mm. it gave me stability. It gave me time to come into my writing and, you know, really build confidence with it because that's a hard thing. Well, that that's the thing I'm so curious about. So you're painting this picture of what starts in 2009, you know, the website and then the branding agency and then the clients and you you start understanding your worth, you know, all of these things. I, I, I feel like on the inside, I'm cheering and I feel like everyone at home is like, <laughs> yeah, do it. And, and then, you know, you're talking about these... Um, these big moments, 2014, 2015, what is the through line in all those years? How does it begin to shift from you're creating all of these brands and these websites, you're doing all of this design to you are writing more and more, you are publishing more and more. When did you decide you wanted to publish something? And and when did, yeah, when, when did the shift begin? So all throughout this, I have an audience that's building. You know, Mm. I was blogging. I blogged when I was in Italy. I mean, people still to this day reference that blog. And it was kind of more funny, like day in the life stuff. Mm. And then all just all throughout, I was active on social media, Um, just doing certain things, always sharing what was going on, sometimes more active than others. And then when I took this job at Thought Catalog, I had to write all the time. So I was Mm -hmm. really sharpening a lot of the writing. Then in 2016, I'm thinking I'm going to do a book. An agent got in touch with me, a literary agent. And that whole year, I couldn't get a book out. Like it was not the time. Every time I sat down at the Mm -hmm. computer, stress, anxiety, worry. And I was so frustrated. I was just like, this is my time. Like I thought that was my time. You know, I just had this whole thing. My writing was out there. I was doing freelancing. That was when I was writing for like Teen Vogue and Complex and HuffPo. And it felt like things were really swelling to the point where I was supposed to do the next things. But then what happened was I real I had that moment of clarity where I was like, Jamie, you're not happy. Like Mm. you can't keep doing this if you're not happy. Like, like if you get a book deal, it's not going to solve this core thing. Cause it felt like I just have to get the book deal. I have to get the book deal. Once I get the book deal, I'll be okay. I'll be happy. And it became such a, I mean, it was like a presence in every room I was in that Mm. belief that just was like haunting me. And I had to have this moment. I mean, it was also all the stuff with the election that was going on. There was a huge awakening in terms of all the things that opened up in 2016. So it was, you know, a lot going on that I was very much, you know, knowledgeable about and keeping up on. And also just this like personal storm that was going on. And I had 
just an insight moment where I, first of all, I got on for a year, I was on anti-anxiety medication because I was just like, I need something Mm -hmm. to just calm me down. I was waking up in panic, you know, Mm -hmm. like I was like, this is not sustainable. And I said to myself, like start of 2017, I was like, you are going to quit and get rid of everything that is not making you happy and whatever stays will stay and whatever goes let it go like it was it was a voice from somewhere beyond like it, i don't know where it came from but it was just like the only thing that matters is feeling good in your life and being happy and i realized i was like i am so far from that like i had never even once had that singular goal. Like, let me just be happy. Mm. It, it was like, let me get this thing to be happy. Let me get the next milestone. And I did, I looked back at my career and I was like, oh my God, I have done everything. Like I'm exhausted. I have hit so many milestones. Like on paper, I'm an impressive person. And yet I feel I'm still not there yet. I'll be happy when X, Y, Z happens. It was like this conscious decision of like, I'm going to quit my ambition. I was like, I'm letting it go. (laughs) And it was so scary. And I was so freaked out. But I I was like, there's no other choice. Mm -hmm. Like, I just have to let this stuff go and trust Mm -hmm. that it'll come back if it comes back. Like these desires and dreams, and they were taking up too much space in my life. And so I just focused on clients and I focused because I, you know, all throughout my career, I always had 10 different side hustles going on, always trying to get something going. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And some of them were aligned. Some of them were not. And so then in the quitting of everything, I didn't didn't write for a couple of years. I was off social media. I was completely silent. And I spent mostly all of 2017, just like on my mind, like journaling, affirmations, exercise routine, mental health. Where did you begin to find those tools? Because as a chronic overachiever, hi, so nice to see you. (laughs) The irony of, of constantly doing is that you feel like you haven't done anything at all because there's no time to really enjoy it. And this year, interestingly, so much of the world shutting down, my my fiance jokes that it took an actual global pandemic for me to slow down because I wasn't allowed to leave the house. And it's the only reason I could do it for, for us to be together, for so many things to happen. And it's not lost on me that we are told, but when you get that next thing, you'll be happy when you, well, when you achieve this, when you've, when you've, uh, sold a show, when you've done your 18th movie, when you like, it's just, it never ends. And something about this year I've sat and gone, whoa, April was like my moment because I, I launched season two of this show. Hillary Clinton was the first guest. Then I premiered a movie at Tribeca in June. I went away, got engaged. I'm off to shoot a show. You know, we got our show picked up in May. We start shooting in October. Like all of these things are happening. And truly when I tell you in almost 20 years of doing what I do for a living, this is the first year where I'm actually enjoying what's going on around me. Why does it take us 18 years? So I'm I'm wondering 
each of us has our unique experiences, but I actually do find, and you said a version of this earlier, that oddly, the deeply specific is universal. I know that it's, I've been nodding along with your story. There are people nodding, nodding along with what I'm saying who haven't had this same year I've had. But we are here going, oh, exactly. So how do you begin? Because I just know there's listeners at home going, where do I start? Where do I start to get back in touch with myself? Where do I start to learn to slow down? So where did you start? Because to take a social media life, a digital life and say, I'm out, I'm going to take a break just for me. How, how did you do that? What were the resources that really mattered for you in this journey? I wish I could say that there was a book or a something mm. that did it, <laughs> but I actually felt pretty alone in it because I felt that the only versions of this that I've seen is either like hyper hustle mm. and like keep hustling and never stop or like go off the grid somewhere. And I was like, well, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. Like I actually do think that if you're really, really caught up in it, mm. that like simplifying things down to the absolute like bare minimum of just the responsibilities, at least for a bit, is really nice. Because I think when everything is really crowded, it gets hard to see anything. It's just like you get into the minutiae of your life and mm -hmm. you're just autopilot. And I recognized, I was like, I'm on autopilot and I'm not intentionally choosing any of these things. And I think what what really changed for me was instead of saying like, okay, well, I mean, of course I want to be happy, but also I want to be famous and I want to be a writer and I want to be this and I want to be this. It's like, be happy first. I think that's at the core of it because it's going to look different for everyone at the core is that we don't trust that if we slow down and pursue contentment, mm. that our dreams will still be there. Like we mm. think that's complacency. We're like, we're going to give up. That means I'm going to give up. So I can't do that because there's things I want to do. And that's how I felt. I was like, well, I can't be happy with myself because then that means I'm, I've given up on myself. If I tell myself I'm happy now and I celebrate myself down, I'm not where I want to be. Ugh, that's just like, you know, that's like promoting a life I don't want. Mm. And it was like, wow, that is real internalized yeah. and like conditioned. And I was like, that's not how it goes at all. Like, because now what's been really interesting is I'm like, I'm like a living example of like, I made sure that I was content in the moment and then now I get to enjoy all the things that are happening. Also, I will say if, if you end up simplifying your life and simplifying down to those things and they make you really happy and your dreams don't come back to you, then like, go be happy, Congrats. you know, like, go enjoy. <laughs> yeah, like you did it. Yeah. Um, so it's like, we, I think, I realized that this was, I was really like trapped by this mm -hmm. ambition because I thought it was, you know, the only way I could prove myself and mm -hmm. the only way that my life would feel valuable and that I would feel worthy. Yeah. I wonder too, in thinking about timelines, 
you know, you're talking about 2017 kind of being this year of the slowdown, giving yourself permission to actually be present and feel and and see what it was you wanted rather than just what was next on your calendar. You talk about the fact that writing the article for Teen Vogue in 2015, how accepting the term plus size changed my life. Do you think that there was some part of you that in, again, choosing to take up your space and and really lean into your own happiness and your own worth and to undo all the toxic messaging and the nonsense that that really kneecaps so many of us, do you think that maybe looking back, that moment created the shift where you said, oh, I need more of this. I need more happy. That's mine just for me. Yeah, I think so. I think I realized being very present on social media, it also meant you're giving parts of yourself away sometimes unless you're unless you're filling yourself back up. And it can mean like your life feels as if it's like for other people to consume instead of for you to enjoy. And I think that was really important for me to embrace all these parts of myself and to like work on how I felt about my body and how that was showing up and how I was seeing my worth through different lenses that I was being given. Like I didn't ask to see myself through this harsh lens. It was like given to me. Mm. And so I think 2017, 2018 was like my big process of unlearning. I just had Mm. to sit back and go, what are these stories that are playing on repeat that are causing me extreme like anxiety and stress and causing me to be really harsh with myself. And then I started rewriting the stories. So now a cornerstone of my life is like being really intentional. So there's got to be a reason that something's on my schedule. There has to be a reason why I'm doing something. And the reason can't be just to prove to someone else that I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. It has to be like enjoying my gifts or if I'm doing a big project, like it's got to be fun for me or, or meaningful or, or a challenge. Like it, I think we get out of this idea that like our lives are for us, like, and our gifts that we're given are for us. Like they're called gifts for Mm -hmm. a reason. They're not gifts for others too. You know, like other people can enjoy them. I mean, you know, you act like you, you do all these things, all these artistic things and it's for, other people's enjoyment, sure, but it's just as important for you to enjoy what they bring to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the big thing where I was like, I did not feel that with writing. It was every time I sat down going, okay, how can I say what I think other people want to hear or want me to say? And I had to connect back to my voice in more ways than one. Mm -hmm. And recognize that like being happy with where I am and celebrating where I am, even when I'm not where I expected to be, that's not going to take away from my future. Like I can Mm -hmm. still be challenged. I can still want to do tons of different things. I can still want to have more and do more, but I don't want to be like, my life will only be good when I hit certain milestones only to realize Mm -hmm. that you hit the certain milestones And it doesn't click in. Mm -hmm. So that was the big thing. I was like, wait, I keep trying 
to find a way out of this, prove my way out of this, achieve my way out of this, change my body out of this, like all these things. And then I was like, the only thing that I can really do is unlearn this messaging and unlearn this idea because it's not actually serving me because I think it's motivating. But now I realize I'm like, if you're motivated by like your own like shame and judgment and harshness, imagine how you'll feel when you're motivated by like love and joy <laughs> and happiness. Like it, it won't make you complacent. It'll actually give you so much energy and so much excitement and you get to like be present in your life. Yeah. So that's why it's funny because now I feel like the idea of satisfaction is coming into um, popular, you know, culture, like we're talking about contentment and things like this. But I did a book proposal in 2019 about this and no one wanted it. Wow. Because everyone, it was all about like hustle and, you know, don't ever give up. Like that was the time. And I loved the book, How to Be a Badass by Jen Sincero. But that was the time of that, of like, Mm -hmm. never give up grind it out. You'll be happy when you get to certain places. And I presented this totally different view and the publishers were like, no, we don't really see a market for this. And I was like, okay, like rejection after rejection. I was just like, "Mm, all right, I guess it's not time or people aren't interested in this. They want that like hustle culture feeling I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to write that book. <laughs> but it's so interesting because people want the hustle culture and then they go, oh, I'm going to hustle myself right into an open grave. I don't want to do this. What am I supposed to do that's different? And so I uh, I guess I'm just really glad that it's 2021 and that your new book is coming out. And it is about contentment. I mean, going through, I don't want to call it the rejection. I want to call it being in a moment where it wasn't time yet, because you're right. That's exactly what it was. People weren't ready to see past the bumper stickers to the actual experience or perhaps even the toll on people's mental health that that relentless hustle culture was creating. So you've been sitting with this book And guys, the book is available for pre-order already. It's called (laughs) Radically Content, Being Satisfied in an Endlessly Dissatisfied World. And you've talked about this and you said something that I talk to my friends about all the time, that existing in a world that makes money on our dissatisfaction and choosing to pursue and find and claim your satisfaction, your celebration of where you are in a moment, regardless of whatever your ambition means for later in your life, that really is a revolutionary act because it allows you to undo a whole bunch of keeping up that costs a whole bunch of money. So I guess I'm struck by almost the humorous irony of the fact that you wrote this book and you were like, oh, these people I have to pitch it to aren't content yet. Yeah. (laughs) So so what did you do with it? Did you just say like, all right, it's not time. I'm just going to wait. Like, how do you you exercise patience? What happens? I was sad. (laughs) I was sad. And I I mean, like it was fine, but it's funny because again, the lens, I'm like, I'm so glad it didn't happen. But at Mm. the time I really felt like, you know, a little, you know, resentful. Yeah. So I actually just pivoted. I wrote two novels 
One of them will sit in a drawer forever and no one will ever read it. One of them has been edited and is now in, in a place where it can go out in the world. Oh my but gosh. Yeah, like I just pivoted and I changed direction. And I think there was a part of me that just trusted, okay, if the nonfiction, if doing this kind of book is going to come back around, it will. Mm. And then in the most poetic way, it did because I had an agent at the time and this was early 2021. I spent all of 2020 being like, well, I don't know what's going to happen for me. You know, I was just like, I don't understand. And I was the one watching every single friend that ever talked about writing a book, getting book deals, doing, Mm. launching their books, everything. And I was just like, well, this is humbling. Because like, I don't know why it's not. (laughs) I was like, this isn't my time yet. Cool. (laughs) Cool, cool. I'll just be here. Yep. I'll just sit here. here. Yeah. Still thinking about the book. Great. Um, and I recognized this agent wasn't advocating for me and I sent her my novel and it wasn't, she said it wasn't ready. And, you know, this is a person that is supposed to be on my team and I would have completely crumbled if it had been any other time. And I just like, there was a fire. This was early 2021. And I was like, I believe in this book and I believe in my message. And actually I'm not doing this anymore of like, you know, publishing is so hard and it's just not your time yet. I was like, no, I'm ready. Like I'm Mm. so ready. So I was like, we're done. Love and light. I appreciate you, but I have to, I have to leave. And everyone was saying like, oh, it's so hard to get an agent. Don't do that. And I was like, I don't care. I'll do it by myself. Like I was ready to self publish everything. Really, early 2021, I was like, I'm going to self-publish every single book. I don't even care. I'm done waiting for people to choose me. I choose me. And then same week that I let go of my agent, I get an email out of nowhere from someone from a publishing house going, I love your writing so much. It's changed my life. Are are you interested in doing a book? And that's Radically Content. Mm. And she said to me, and I had always manifested this idea. I was like, I don't understand why I have to beg and get this book proposal Mm -hmm. and hope and wish. I was like, I always imagined that someone would come to me and see the talent. Like I've put so much work out there. Mm -hmm. It's still not enough. And then the moment I was like, it's enough and I'm ready. This person pops out of nowhere. This woman pops out of nowhere and goes, I don't need a book proposal from you. I don't need anything from you. I want just your top level idea and I'm ready to give you a deal. Like, let's do it. You can write whatever you want. Like she was like, you can give me an outline, but really just write whatever you want. Cause I know the book's going to be amazing. Mm. And I was like, what? This exists? And then that really changed everything. Cause when you're trying to prove your worth and do the, the dance, it gets so complicated. You're like, okay, so if I get this or someone tells me this or and then this is essentially what my book is about is like, just opt out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I just opted out. I was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. It's like, you don't have to try to keep up with the world as it's happening around you. 
There are other avenues, but so many of us don't have those presented to us. And I think there's such a human reality in being scared to lose or let go. You know, a lot of people in your position with that first agent who was clearly terrible and had bad taste would say, but if I walk away from this, I'll have even less. But really, if you walk away from something, there's the potential for so much more. And I, I'm excited, A, that, you know, you live all of this out loud so we all get to come along for the ride, and B, that you've also chosen to take on an educational role because you're using your experiences to help so many other people. And I think it's profound because, you know, similarly to you when you talk about, like, maybe it's being a Gemini, I, I'm a Cancer. My birthday is July 8th. I'm like, yep, that makes sense. Super sensitive. I retreat into my shell. I love water. Fine. And I <laughs> like, okay, you know, you you try to like see. And I had a chat recently, um, this fascinating chat with the founder of The Pattern, that okay. awesome app. And she was like, no, you don't go by your sun sign. You go by your moon sign. Like, babe, you have all the cancer qualities, but you're also a Gemini. That's why... You present as really hyper-confident to the world, but you're terrified. Like you have two things happening inside of you at the same time. And I was like, oh my God, this just makes my life make so much more sense. I didn't know. (laughs) And I think as a person who listens to you say, I've just always said, no, I'm doing it anyway. I know that for me, I can get really, I can get harangued by the fear. I can get really paralyzed. I can go, I know that I could do this, but. I'm so scared to fail that I won't start. Yeah. And you are creating content that is pushing people like me over that edge. And I'm so grateful. And I imagine the audience, you know, who hasn't been on on your site yet, but who clearly are all going uh, after this are going to be so grateful because the course living with intention it turns on a lot of these ideas. It reminds you that you have to write your own permission slips because nobody else is going to do it for you. So how how did you create it? And then how did you say, yep, it's going out there. I have this company that does branding and now here I am (laughs) teaching people how to live more intentionally. How does a person do that? (laughs) Honestly, I, I think I have this core belief that I'm like, being afraid does not define me. Mm. And so I can be afraid and brave. And Mm -hmm. I can put things out there, you know, and I've also seen a lot of teachers on this, like a lot of people that I follow, they, you know, they do all sorts of different things. And so I've, there's been some of that of like modeling, and that's the importance of representation or, and that's also the reason why I love social media so much is like, you get to just be I mean, there's so, there's a lot of stuff that's not great about it. There's a lot of really good parts where you get to like see other women living in ways that can make you really rise up. Mm. And, you know, and I feel very like humbled and grateful for that. But also I think if I don't use my gifts, it causes a lot of distress in my Mm. personal life, you know? So I, I see that when I deny myself, it, it takes more, actually it takes more energy for me to deny myself something than it does to find a way to do it. And it's a practice. I think that's something, that's another thing where it's like, 
that's something I teach in this course, in my course, which is, you know, the live with intention course, where it's like, it's a practice to show up and you, you become less motivated by the results when you see and can feel your own progress. So whenever I'm feeling the fear, I think what I do is try to take it all back in. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I need to show up for me because the fear is always some externalizing of something, you know, afraid of what someone's going to say or how someone's going to view it. Or, you know, it could very easily be like, Jamie, you're a web designer. What are you doing a course for? You know, it's like, come on. You know, but it's like, I just go, I'm going to do this for me because I came up with something that really worked and I think it sounds fun. And I know that it has taken a long time for me to get there, but I also know that I have also recognized the power of taking action, even when I'm afraid, because mostly because even though I've done a lot, there was a lot that I didn't do. Mm-hmm. In that time, there was a lot that I was denying and mm-hmm. not taking action on it. When I turned 30, it really caught up to me mm-hmm. of like, what, what, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. there's some things that you're really ignoring. And so uh, there's, this is another exercise that I do with myself where I start to imagine my future self. And I think of her like so lovingly. And I'm like a year from now, is she going to be happy that I didn't take action on this? Mm. Or is she going to feel burdened by the fact that like, we still have this dream that we haven't taken steps on? Because I felt that where I look back and I'm like, why didn't I, why didn't I do that? Now I'm like, I need to take action on everything Mm -hmm. because first of all, it clarifies the idea. And when you take action on things, you recognize that like, the fear was really coming from what happens in the inaction. Mm. And the fear really does start to dissipate when you have that, like if you just take small steps. I mean, I wrote an, I wrote two novels. The first novel, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't go to school for anything. I didn't do a fancy MFA. I was just like, yeah. I like reading. And so like, <laughs> let me just do this. Seriously, no outline, I nothing. I was just like, like fiction. Why not? Like, why not? Yeah. And I just worked on it and it sucks. Like it's not good, but that's okay. Cause then what happened was I started to celebrate that I was even doing it. Mm-hmm. So that had, that's what, that's something that has been really important to me is like celebrating the most smallest, like you even did it. Like yeah. that, that to me is enough. Or I'm like, you sat down and worked on this for 30 minutes and that's good that's you. good enough. Yeah. You know, and cuz like even that, we don't give ourselves that at all. And so I've seen the power of like celebrating the small things, taking mm-hmm. the small steps, taking action even when you're afraid. Stop like not doing the I'm not ready yet mm-hmm. because things get clarified. And I I think that a lot of our inner, I guess when we're being hard on ourselves, mm-hmm. it's coming from usually like denying some of that to ourselves, like Mm -hmm. denying the celebration, denying the gift that we have, denying giving ourselves like just 30 minutes in the day to do that thing that we really want to do. So I think I got to the place where because I back in 2017 made my mental health such a big part of my healing and I wanted that to be really 
you know, important to me. I think I've also seen that I'm just not available anymore to like punish and harm myself. Like I I don't, the world is like harsh enough, you know, like it's, it's, it's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot going on that's really heartbreaking and hard to deal with. And things happen that are out of our control. Like I'm not going to be the barrier to myself anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to uplift myself. I'm going to be the one that says like, you can do it actually. Mm -hmm. Maybe try it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and maybe when you try it, you might see that you like there, there's plenty of things that I've tried and I go, this was not it. Next. (laughs) I love that. You, You don't have to be society's assistant in holding you down. Oh my God. That's you, it. you just don't have to be that. And I, and I think that, again, I just keep coming back to this. It's really, for me, it's the crux of storytelling. And it feels so central to everything you've been sharing and teaching us today. The specific is universal. Yeah. The personal is universal. It's a place that we all meet. And, and I love that so many of your articles, so many of the things you share really look at you know, political and social issues through your personal experiences, through your personal lens. It's the same thing I try to do in my own way, you know, with the audience here, uh, all our all our great whip smarties at home, with with the people that I talk to on social. And I have just been so touched and felt really grateful that you've talked about the reality of things. You know, you've talked about the pains of your husband's citizenship status under the Trump administration. I was able to send that to a friend of mine who her and her partner were going through a very similar thing at the time. And and you made her feel so seen. You know, you've talked about the existence of and also people's tendency to be defensive of white privilege. You've critiqued social figures, you know, from Trump to Hillary Clinton. You come in with an honest perspective and, and you encourage people to keep discourse flowing which I think is so important on sociopolitical issues because now everybody wants to get in their corners and just bark at each other. And I'm like, well, that's not getting us anywhere. So how do you think, having shared so many of your own experiences and thoughts, how do you think we can continue to broaden the perspectives of what was our past cultural norm, you know, the the very white, the male, the thin, the hetero, the neurotypical. H- how do you see us, you know, meeting to broaden as we move forward? I mean, I really think what you're talking about when it comes to storytelling, mm-hmm. I think we need more people who maybe don't fit all the boxes mm-hmm. to not wait for permission to share because that's always been very important to me is to mm. not if I if I wait I'll wait forever cuz like I, mm. I you know I'm not supposed to have a voice like really if I think about it you know I don't come from money I'm not thin there's certain privileges that I do have but certain a lot that are against me when it comes to having a voice and having an opinion mm-hmm. and having power um so I think that the more that we do share stories, because I've noticed that, you know, online discourse has kind of become very combative and it's less about us sharing our stories and how we're coming to different conclusions. Cause I think people are maybe scared to say certain things, but I also think that we need more of that. We need more people to 
kind of come to the conversation and just say, here's where I'm at. Like, do you want to meet me here? Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to be angry with myself. And I'm coming at this to see if we can reach an understanding. Because I think with every everything that I do, something that's always been very, very important to me is like, I don't want to be right. I want to be free. And mm-hmm. I want there to be more freedom for more people, not more people needing to be right about certain things. And that has always been very important because for some reason, I've just always looked at things on more of like a global scale and how it can apply to more people. And I do know that the personal is universal because the more that I share the personal things, the more like that's why, you know, my book originally was going to be more of like a self-help guide. It turned into a lot more memoir. Mm. And from what I've heard from people who have even who have read it so far, my early readers, it's that like is the part that makes them feel heard. And I'm like, that's so interesting. Like that, that keeps coming true. And yet that come, that's how it is with everything. I mean, that's why we watch certain TV shows or movies or read certain fiction books or anything is to be understood, to see a different type of viewpoint. And I think that if we can come to ourselves open-minded and affirm ourselves to have a voice, Mm. Even if, and it doesn't mean you have to have like a loudspeaker voice. It can mean that you just have a point, like a, a voice to yourself. Yeah. Like that's where it starts, you know, give yourself some space to have something to say, to like have an opinion, to think beyond the binaries and think beyond the conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think when we look at it, there's a lot of things that we're, we're taking as ultimate truth that is like harming us mm-hmm. and is keeping us kind of locked in. And so it's funny because I, I feel like my work, as much as I am kind and gentle, I also am like, I want to be a little confronting. Yeah. Like I, I want to let make people think a little mm-hmm. bit and kind of look at them, look at how they view the world and see if there's a different way and just expand people's thinking, because I know that that's what has helped me. And I know that when you share that, people are able to see a different way. And the other thing is that when we use storytelling, I'm noticing that it it allows people to come to their own conclusions instead of being like, here's how to think, here's how to be, here's how to do this. Like people don't respond always that well to that. Even yeah. though there are certain norms that we have, there are certain things that like we need to talk about that are important, hold people accountable. Yeah. But there's certain things that I'm like, it's a little lower stakes. Like, let's talk about, let's talk about some real things without having to jump to defensiveness. And I think it's easier to understand a message when it's delivered from someone's kind of like humility and mm-hmm. being like, here's an idea. What do you think? Like, here's my, (laughs) here's what I went through. What do you think? Like, that really Mm -hmm. seems to soften the blow a bit. I like that. And I think when you're trying to create more tenderness and understanding, it will shape the way you approach things. It's certainly the exhaustion of the intensity of the last couple of years in particular have definitely 
made me want to approach things differently. I, I believe in staunch defense of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I certainly wonder about how we can have some of those conversations clearly, yes, but but perhaps more tenderly so that we welcome people who might be afraid of of the intensity so that we welcome them to the table. Yeah, I mean, I will be earnest and sincere and tender till the day I die. Like, I just think it's the most, I'm like, I'd rather be that way mm-hmm. than shut myself off. Even mm-hmm. though, I mean, there were parts, I will say, there were times in 2020 where I was like, I'm <laughs> I'm not feeling as tender, yeah. <laughs> as gentle yeah. as oh, I once, once felt. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I am being... I am strengthening this muscle. Um, (laughs) You're like, ooh, I feel ferocious today. Wow. Yeah, ooh. (laughs) Yeah. Opinions. Okay. Um, It's tricky Mm because I think we need fire. I think people's anger is justified. I mean, Mm -hmm. anger changes things. And so I wouldn't say, you know, like people have to have a reason to, you know, I mean, things do need to change. I think that's where I'm at where I'm like, okay, Things need to change, but also change might not happen as fast as I want it to. Mm -hmm. And so I need to find a way to exist in the balance between Mm -hmm. like we're not in the progressive idealistic world that I imagine we could be if we were more involved, but also I have to exist here and I I don't, I don't want to drown here. Yeah. There are so many reasons to feel bleak that it now feels revolutionary to feel joy. And I think that's a thing that's really worth clinging to and and leaning into. And I I'm certainly working on that. My gosh. <laughs> uh tempering my my ferocious response to injustice with a desire to find joy. <laughs> what a novel idea. <laughs> I uh, That's I, all yeah, that's a yeah, trip. I'm like, oh, this is a uh, Work in progress. Work it literally, <laughs> literally work, work in progress. But that was actually, it's so funny that you just said that because that was going to be my question for you. In in this moment where so much is happening, um, and as a person who has been a truth teller and and a an emotional example setter and a leader for so many people, the book is coming. You know, you talked about the novels you've written and this moment you find yourself in, what would you say feels like your work in progress right now? My work in progress right now is really trying not to limit myself Mm. because I, I sometimes go too realistic or I want to understand how it's all going to work out. And I sometimes have guilt, Mm. you know, like people are suffering and this is a part, a time in my life where a lot of things that I've been working towards are sort of crackling and there's yeah. momentum building and the rejections are fewer and far between. And this type of thing that I've been working towards, and I can definitely feel that guilt that sometimes comes up that, you know, maybe I want to lessen it a little bit mm-hmm. or, you know, oh, well, it's not. I don't know. It's not that great. And instead my work has been to be like, just be in it fully and like, don't put limits on it and trust that 
It's going to take you where you're meant to be. And, you know, I think I'm a little hesitant around spotlight and things like that. You know, we put a lot of pressure, I'm sure you know, (laughs) on our public figures. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's a, it can sometimes be a burden to be a leader, to have a voice Mm -hmm. and feel that, uh, feel the weight of that sometimes. So there's some work in there about, the guilt and accepting blessings and accepting Mm. when things do start to come true and not try to over identify with it as like, Oh, now I'm, I I'm better than people or, and then not try to diminish it (laughs) too. And just be like, okay, this is happening and I need to be in it while I'm in it. And also, you know, celebrate it but also not get too caught up in like my own hype or something. You know what I mean? I'm sure you really can identify with that as being like, you've been in the spotlight for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oof. But the interesting thing that I find and, and something I'm really working on is the more spotlight is on you, the more people assume you just get loved all the time. Mm. And lots of people really don't like that. And so lots of people want to come at you to be like, I'm going to make sure you're not into your own hype so much. And you're like, wow, so I'm really, things are just very abusive here. (laughs) Oh, because, you know, lots and lots and lots of people assume, well, everyone else compliments you, so I'm not going to. And it is a Mm. strange, you just realize that people have a desire to poke at somebody And it's really easy to poke at somebody you don't know. And I'm sure you know plenty of this, too, as a a person who's been, you know, so public and as a woman who publicly has opinions and likes herself. (laughs) The horror. (laughs) So I I think for me, it's also about trying to figure out some boundaries. And it, it really reached a fever pitch after the insurrection for me. And I turned my comments off. They're just off. My friends can comment on my stuff, but strangers can't anymore. And I will say I miss it. I miss the dialogue. I miss the really interesting stuff. But what I don't miss is getting, um, you know, bot swatted by yeah. like Breitbart people. I, I I had to set a boundary there. And it's interesting because with boundaries come some loss. Yeah. But they're important. And so... <sighs> Yeah, trying to figure out how to how to exist in my actual reality and contribute in whatever positive way I might be able to while putting up some boundaries to the not real world of fame and the expectations of strangers and and things that just aren't based on anything that actually matters for my life or mental health. That's that's a work in progress for me too. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I I really dropped that story for uh, like this idea that celebrities or people in the spotlight, like all their problems are gone. Like we, we just have this assumption. And then, you know, if anyone speaks out about it, then it's, it's like they're ungrateful Mm -hmm. or, you know, oh, poor you, like in your, you know, that tone. And I, I'm just like, not only does this harm 
people like that are in the public eye that are giving us incredible art it also harms the person saying that mm-hmm. because it's like you feel that deep down against yourself yeah like that cuz i look at that and i'm like okay walk that through now mm. you think you've actually given something power to dictate your own happiness and so you're saying once you get x y and z everything will be solved And that's what I'm projecting onto this person. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so actually this is a cycle that nobody's really winning. And and like, I think it's just a harmful culture that we've created with that where just making this outright assumption like, oh, if you have money and fame and you're on my TV, then you must be so happy and perfect. (laughs) You never have problems. It's like, we're definitely expanding that viewpoint, but not enough, I don't think, because that's our core value and belief system in this country then, mm-hmm. that we believe that if you have these milestone moments, then nothing will ever touch you again. And there's no, you can never have a problem. You don't have real problems. And so what is that creating in your own life too? That's that's a weird that's a weird dynamic that you're and a weird story that you're telling yourself. But we're mm. all telling. But this is like internalized. Yeah. Wow. Is that making sense? <laughs> yeah. It's so well put. I mean, you're you're really hitting the nail on the head. And and I think it. Yeah. Then it creates a another interesting layer whereby any person who is perceived to have status or power, if they attempt to do good also gets yelled at and told, well, you don't know anything about what these people go through. And it's like, I, hey, I worked retail too. <laughs> like me wanting things to be better for, you know, the crews on my shows or the folks working minimum wage jobs do you not want me to use my platform for that? What do you what do you want me to do? Like sell t-shirts? I don't know. It's a tricky thing. And I and I think you're right. I think it is an expression of pain more than anything. Because we're just mad that anybody else seems to be getting listened to. I don't actually think it's about this stuff. I think it's that so many people feel unheard. Mm. So there is a, a real wound when we perceive that other people get listened to and we don't. And that, wow. that makes me the thing I love to do most. The reason I created this show is to be in deep, intimate conversation, to listen to people. And and when I see the rage at others being listened to, it just really makes me want to double down on deep listening. Wow. Wow. That's so well put. I I got I'm like, I'm gonna have to process that later. <laughs> going to have to think about that journal on that. You you <laughs> left me with many things to process today, my friend. I literally, I, I just know that when we wrap this up, I'm going to get back on with my producers and they're going to be like, you have never been so scatterbrained in an interview. Like, <laughs> because I just was so excited to talk to you. I oh was like, gosh. oh my God. And then this, and then I thought about this. And is it weird if I tell her that I read this article and then I took notes and then I had this question? Like, oh my God, you're, you're a deer for putting up with, um, I love it with me hey, being we're both so Gemini's. Pumped. So Who knew? I followed it. I followed it so well. I was like, I'm so yes, glad. yes, I got it. I got it. I'm so <laughs> glad. I I mean, I for 39 years I thought I was a cancer. Here we are. I'm I'm thrilled. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's just 
<laughs> I'm a Taurus moon. It makes sense. All but right. I also am like, Gemini sun. This this comes out. There it definitely, it, it appears. There it is. You're like two, two trains of thought all the time, and yet you get it done. Right. I, I love mean, it. Definitely. I just there's a, love there's it. a way to reconcile it, kind of. <laughs> oh, Jamie, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you. 